0: Hello and welcome to Deb and Friends Quest for Connection podcast. I am Deb Bowen, your anchor host, and I am so honored and delighted to have you listening to this episode this week as my lovely co-host Susan Bollinger and I discuss the concept of pilgrimage. And we're going to talk about pilgrimage today uh, in relationship to some pilgrimages that we have taken two of which we've taken together, and actually some other experiences as well, Susan, that were not quite as long as our pilgrimages to Western Britain. But um, we're going to be talking about that. And we're doing this episode for a couple of reasons. Um, one, our lovely co-host Dale Rutman asked us when we were planning Originally, before we ever even recorded our first episode, they'll ask us to talk about the concept of pilgrimage and our experiences in Glastonbury and in um, Western England. And then the other reason is because recently I got an email from a client asking me to to talk about pilgrimage and and how she might embark upon a pilgrimage experience, much like some of the ones that, that I have had and my suggestion to her was make your own find find what really resonates for you and we'll be talking with you about how each of you can also uh, do that same thing so sit back take a deep breath and listen as susan and i are so happy to be with you susan welcome my dear friend
1: thank you deb hi how is everyone today <laughs> pilgrimage ah that that is That's a word that brings up many images, I think, depending on where you are. When you and I first talked about going to Glastonbury and other places in southwestern England that you mentioned, I think it started out, in my mind at least, first as we're going to take this really nifty trip. And we're going to get to see wonderful things that we've always wanted to see. We've seen pictures of in the history books. We've always wondered about them. They've always pulled at us. And how exciting to have found somebody to travel with who is interested in these things as well. I don't remember the concept of pilgrimage as having come up until part of the way through our planning. And you sort of looked at me across your kitchen table as we were searching for flights and things and your eyes got real big and you looked at me and said, This is a pilgrimage and I immediately knew that you were right.
0: Do you remember that dad? <laughs> I, I do. I do. And and you know, for me that that experience that a burning desire to stand on the cliffs at Tintagel, to uh, be on my knees at Chalice Well, to climb the Glastonbury Tor—all of that had been a burning part of my life for many, many, many years since I first read Mary Stewart's Merlin series, uh, her, her Arthurian legend series. <clears throat> In the second. Of those books, Merlin the magician says. The name of the book is *The Hollow Hills*. Merlin says it is never wise to turn aside from knowing. However, the knowing comes, and I knew I needed to know. I wasn't sure what I needed to know, but I knew I needed to know. Mm-hmm. And I knew, mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. And, and I knew that I had a knowing that I could not articulate. About being in those places as as the years went by and and as I learned more after having read uh, the Mary Stewart books I realized that what I was probably experiencing were past life memories I remember standing on that cliff in Tintagel with tears streaming down my face knowing I had come home that I had been here before and that has happened to me in several other places on the planet and when I reach that inner knowing place and it's deep in my solar plexus, then I know that what I have undertaken, even though I may not have conceptualized it at the moment, is a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage mm-hmm. to coming home. And for me, and that's really one of the points that I want to make in this hour, is that a pilgrimage brings me home to myself. Right. Your thoughts. Right. Your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I agree. I agree. One, once you use that word pilgrimage, I think that's when we started looking for, for books on pilgrimage. We were already reading Rick Steves and books on Glastonbury and and uh, uh, researching the history and how old was Stonehenge and what what's known and what's not yet known. Those those types of things. The Chalice Well. How how old was the Chalice Well and all all those types of history things. But then to really change it from a trip to a pilgrimage, I knew I had to do some, some research separately on what is a pilgrimage. Because when you say pilgrimage, the images that come up are, for me, were things like the Crusades and people who go to Jerusalem to visit Mount Sinai or stand at the Wailing Wall, Uh, people who have to go to Mecca, uh, pilgrimages to India, pilgrimages to, as we were doing, uh, people walk the El Camino as a kind of a pilgrimage. What was that about? What was the purpose? How did you embody pilgrimage? So as, As you said there was a draw to these things for you pilgrimages is is a journey uh, or a quest in search of something is it something new are they new places do you need to change a scenery do you need to be around new and different cultures and people are you seeking history ideally when we do this whether we know it or not I believe that we're in search of something deeper within ourselves. We're in search of our own spirit. We are peeling away some of the layers of our daily life in order to find that deeper self. So I think you unveil a spiritual aspect in, our, in yourself that, that is either as yet undiscovered or to enhance your existing spiritual journey because it's an intensely personal experience that unfolds along the way. So pilgrimage for me became a transformative tool.
0: Indeed. True, true for me as well. And, you know, maybe it's the Libra in me, but... Um, Pilgrimage is also about a balance between very clear, succinct, purposeful preparation and allowing room for serendipity and I think right. we, I think we need both you know um, talk a little tell everybody a little bit about the preparation that that we both did for our planning of this trip.
1: Deb and I both have serious um, control, I'm not going to call them issues, because (laughs) (laughs) it's just who we are. We need a lot of control in our lives. And this is where that went absolutely nuts. We prepared as much as we absolutely could. We studied. We read books. We took notes. We underlined we talked to each other in the midst of checking what the weather was going to be like. What is the temperature there at this time of year? How do we pack? Deb made copious packing lists and shared them with me. I amended my packing list a little separately, but that's you know that's fine. We were continually uh, reviewing the finances. How much were the plane tickets? How much would our bed and breakfast be? How much were our admission tickets? We got tickets ahead of time. We found out. We did not know.
0: Susan, you're they gone. They have it. I'm still here. You, you are now. Are you here? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm try again.
1: Okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> We we got tickets. We got special admission to Stonehenge, so we could go actually into what is now a cordoned off area around Stonehenge. Gosh, Deb, we did it. What
0: all did we do? <laughs> I I, uh, I don't even know. It, it, I will say pet, this: Susan handled the money way better than I did. I was not good with the coins and the um, exchange rates. Susan no, that handled that too. much better than I did. Yeah, now we got our passports. We, you
1: already had one. I got a passport. Just the details
0: of the lists
1: that, that we felt that we needed to do took, did we plan this over a year?
0: We did. And, we did. and how,
1: did you, how did you choose a place to stay? How, how, to, how to pick a bed and breakfast. We were Google earthing, trying to figure out to where we were. The travel, how do we get from point A to point B and then back to A again? And this, I think, is where we really ended up with some major serendipity.
0: Oh, we ended up with amazing blessings. It, it agreed on the serendipity, but amazing, amazing blessings as well. Uh, you know, my mama would say, the Lord looks after fools and children, and you and I might have been both, uh, because we, <laughs> we, we certainly True. were guided and, and, uh, and nurtured by our wonderful host at the B&B in Glastonbury Pilgrim uh, B&B with Brian and Claire uh, Charles Carlton, and they were just amazing, just wonderful, and and just took such great care of us and forever grateful to those two lovely people. Absolutely. And we chose them, if you remember, because there are a lot of B&Bs in in the uh, Glastonbury area. We chose them, one, because there was a tarot card on their homepage of their website and because Mm. they talked about it being a place for goddess people who were um, involved with goddess worship. And it turned right. out to be absolutely perfect for both of us. It was a lovely experience.
1: So and the name was and, Pilgrims.
0: And the name was Pilgrim. So how much you know? So we we took that as as a sign. And and I think it's important to look for those signs along the way and to learn to trust them sometimes. I, I really do. I think that's important. So yes, we did a ton of preparation. But you, you, one thing that that uh, and Susan's talking about all of this. I had for years been leading groups to um, South Dakota to the Ro- Rosebud Reservation. So I had had a lot of experience with packing and preparing groups of folks to travel to sacred places, and, and for myself as well. But this was different. Uh, we were crossing the pond and uh, going into very uncharted territory, and so I felt like there was another layer and another level of the preparation but when it was all said and done, we um, followed a suggestion that Phil, who wrote The Art of Pilgrimage, suggest that turned out to be a great idea, and that was when you've done all you can do, and it's time to get ready to go to the airport, close your suitcase, and sit on it. What was that experience like for you, Susan? (laughs) It,
1: It was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience because it meant I'm ready. It's done. I'm getting ready just to walk out the door and even though I've done all this crazy preparation, I really don't know what's going to happen. And regardless of what happens... I have to be open. I have to relinquish control, which I'm ready to do at this point, and release all judgment. Mm -hmm. In other words, be as humanly open as I can be to whatever is, is coming. It's also a minute to stop running through your lists like a crazy person, so that if there's anything at all that you have forgotten, it has now room to surface <laughs> in your <laughs> consciousness. <laughs> and, and you can go grab that pair of socks you meant to pack two days ago. <laughs> and, and, and the truth said. is,
0: we were not going to uh, a developing country where, where we were not going to have access just about anything we possibly could have needed Mm
1: -hmm. you know the reality
0: Mm -hmm. is some way somehow we would have found whatever we needed and we would have been fine and also we realized we didn't need as much as we took of course which is always the case when when i travel um i always used to tell folks who with whom i traveled pack your suitcase then unpack half of it then wait a couple of days and unpack half again and then you'll have enough that's about the and, truth, and too, isn't it? it? It is about the truth. You really need about a fourth of what you think you're going to need. So, you know, yes, we, we did do all of that preparation. And then, you know, we were on a plane, and here we go. And, we that and it was we, what it was.
1: We value, and uh, this keeps popping up in, in my periphery uh, the, the last few weeks, is how much we as a society value stress the stress of everything we have to do, the stress of our jobs, the stress of our, our list, if you will. It, means, it seems to me somehow that we're important. If I have so much to do and I'm so busy, I'm important. It means that I have value because I'm so busy and I have so much to do. And let me check my calendar first. If you're going on a pilgrimage, you just have to let that go. It's not a part, it can't be a part of your identity when you're on pilgrimage. Do you agree?
0: Oh, I absolutely uh, do agree. You know, once we got uh, off the planes and away from the requirement of being in a specific place at a specific time to to meet a flight or or whatever, uh, I, I could easily let go of the time. I was very happy to let that go. I, I remember traveling many times with, with folks for whom that was a real issue back in the days when people still wore watches. And I would have folks on the trip where I would say, you need to let go of your watch. You're going to be on a different way of being and a different relationship with time. And I had folks that that was really hard for. Oh. Uh, I've, had fo- you know, I've had folks who I've said, give me your cell phone. Uh, you can't have it back until tomorrow,, mhm. Mm-hmm. you know, partly to just hmm partly to disconnect and partly to just be in a different relationship with time, because I think time is different, particularly when we go to places that are so ancient and have been <clears throat> sacred for time immemorial, then how, how is our tiny, tiny little moment of time in that space? different how can we stretch it the the night that you and i were in stonehenge the first time we had an hour and i was very conscious going inside that circle that this was a sacred hour Mm -hmm. and then i let it go i just let it go so i could be in that space in every single moment of those 60 minutes and when it was and when it was time I don't think I was ready to go, but I also could let it go because I knew that that's the time I'd been allotted. But while I was in the circle, I didn't think about, oh, I've only got five more minutes. I didn't go there. I just let it be.
1: That's wise. That's wise Mm -hmm. because you're, you're focusing on where you are and what you're doing and what you're feeling and what's around you, how that means, what that means to you, how that resonates with you. You're soaking up those energies. All of those things that we do in a sacred place without constantly having that, there's that control thought again. What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? How wonderful just to let that go and just be Mm -hmm. there. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Yes. And I remember our first morning there, we knew that we had folks at home who were anxious to hear from us. And so we needed to find, a, a, back in those days, a computer to be able to send an email home to say, okay, folks, we're here. We don't know when we'll be back in touch. Love, Deb and Susan. And, and we're safe. We bye. That's right. We're, we're off. We're, we're having, we're, we know we're okay. We're good. Uh, but, and, but once we did that, then once again, I, I was good. And, and Susan, I want to talk a little bit about a commitment that you and I both made before we embarked on the journey, and one that had been a part of my traveling experience for a long time and had become a part of, of yours and mine together whenever we had traveled together before, and that is to begin a pilgrimage of sacred time with walking a labyrinth, if there was one available. You and I had mm-hmm. done that at a workshop, if you remember, sometime before for a weekend that we had uh, done Regine Shinoda Bowen. Right. And so that was also on our agenda of, of what we wanted to do to, to set the tone, to set our intentions, to begin our pilgrimage in Glastonbury once we arrived. And we did that. There is a beautiful Seventh seven Circuit Labyrinth on the grounds of uh, St. John's Church. And we started out our experience with walking that labyrinth. You want to talk a little bit about what that was like for you? Not
1: not for me it was not just to set intention, it was also to receive any messages. Mm, mhm. Honestly, I was so overwhelmed that first trip. My, the second time I walked that labyrinth on our second trip was much more meaningful to me than the first trip because I was just so overwhelmed with where I was and what was around me that I really couldn't focus very well. I walked it. I tried to focus.
0: Oh, my gosh, I'm in the West of Oh, my gosh, I'm in England. I've always wanted to come to England. I'm in England walking a labyrinth. I can't believe I'm in England walking <laughs>
1: quite let <laughs> I'm supposed to be doing something really spiritual here and it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my experience walking that labyrinth the first time. I, I needed a little bit more time on that earth, on that ground to really settle into it to be able to, to walk it. The second time the second time was more meaningful for me.
0: That does, that make,
1: does that make sense? You didn't know that, did you? No, I, <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I don't know I that didn't. I shared it.
0: <laughs> you, you've never mentioned that before. <laughs> well, well, okay. Uh, and that's interesting because I had a much more connected and, and meaningful experience on my first time walking that labyrinth than I did my second time. I was very distracted. There were more people around us on that second trip, if you remember. in the labyrinth so i was much more able to to focus one of the one of the things that that susan and i differ on in our approach to sacred spaces is being barefooted and that comes from a long long history that we she and i have very very different histories about wearing shoes as children and you could not then nor can you now get me to put shoes on my feet unless i am forced to do so uh, and so, for me, a part of that journey of being in sacred places was to be in those spaces barefooted. I needed to touch the earth with my bare feet. And uh, I still, I, I always do. I mean, that's still a part of who I am. And I think what's important in that is that it matters what speaks for you in how you approach your demeanor and your connection to sacred space. And there's no right or wrong to it, I don't think. It's mm-hmm. it's really just how you, how you approach it. We had both agreed to take gifts with us, not just for the people that we met and people who, who would be a part of our pilgrimage that we, we knew would be a part of it, like our host at the B&B and some other folks, but also gifts to the places themselves. And we had a very different perspective on our second journey than we did on our first journey. Uh, our first journey we left, I left seashells, Susan left stones. Mm-hmm. And I got to thinking about that later and I thought, you know, I've left a, a, a scallop shell, which is a sacred symbol of pilgrimage and has been long before it was a Christian symbol of a sacred pilgrimage it actually takes back to to women uh trying to connect with uh, venus for fertility uh in the goddess tradition but but i had taken scallop shells and i got to thinking about later how you know somebody later i don't know 100 years from now is going to dig around in some sacred space where i was was and say look this space used to be underwater because here's a seashell (laughs) that, that might not have been the best plan for me to do that or oh look, suddenly, you know, who who knew that Labradorite could come up out of the ground in this place from your rocks? <laughs> you know? So have the a second feeling
1: time- I have a feeling that those places are probably cleared out fairly regularly because so many of of where we places we visited there were ribbons tied to trees prayer ribbons and and you could see where other gifts had been re- left there would be piles of stones that had been built and uh, those types of things so uh, I I think maybe there's maybe the fairies come by and say, <laughs> The oh, fairies are the groundskeepers,
0: somebody maybe so. <laughs> but the second time we went, we there's a lovely little uh, herb store in in Glastonbury, and we bought some sacred herbs and just scattered those around to in those places to be taken by the wind or, or whatever. But the point yeah. being that that it's important to say thank you mm-hmm. to where and to honor to you that want. place. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely true. One of the things that we also found really important that we hadn't given a whole lot of thought to other than, oh, gee, isn't this going to be a fun adventure, was our connection to food in (laughs) the places we went. And our lovely B&B host, uh, on I think it was our second or third morning at breakfast, said, you all are the strangest American travelers we've ever had. And, and Susan and I both just stopped breathing. We thought, oh, no, have we, have we created some kind of international incident here and done something committed to horrible faux pas? And, <laughs> and, and Brian said, we, I we said, why? And he said, because there's, there are no American food wrappers in the trash cans in your bedrooms. You don't, we're, you're not, didn't bring American junk food with you. And we said, no, we came to eat your food. And he said, that's very odd. Many Most Americans feel like they're going to starve to death on British food. And we found that also to be a part of the the, the, the sacredness of sharing food with people. And I agree. And that culture became an important part of that pilgrimage for me, and, and it sounds like for you too, Susan. Yes, and, and I don't
1: always think of it that way but because I was raised that when you're in somebody else's, home slash country you take what's offered because it's polite and you eat what's on your plate it didn't always work at home but when you were a guest that's certainly what the rules were but then so it's kind of already programmed in in that manner but then when we look at it through the idea of pilgrimage And what I said earlier about putting judgment and control aside, if you're going to have an authentic experience, that's also going to be with the life-giving food that those places offer you. That's important, I think. And it would never have occurred to either Deborah and all of our planning and all of our lists of things to pack, maybe a couple of breakfast bars or snack bars in case we got stuck somewhere and were hungry and couldn't get to a restaurant or or a stand um, and really needed something right at that time. We had a couple of those, but it never occurred to either one of us to pack potato chips or popcorn or fritos. It didn't dawn on me that that even was close to being something worth taking up space in my luggage
0: yeah no me either me either i was all excited to go eat you know yorkshire pudding and stuff i mean i just you know well all the
1: all the the things we'd read about at harry potter we needed treacle
0: we needed (laughs) (laughs) yes it's true we did we absolutely did you know cornish pasties and you name it we we wanted to try it all we did and uh
1: and our hosts and were lovely some,
0: and,
1: and found some lovely, lovely little shops that had fabulous tea and uh, toasted cheese
0: sandwiches. We, we did. And you know what that afforded us as well was an opportunity to watch the folks of the community interact with each other. And we saw such lovely kindness in we so did. many places. We did. It was beautiful to see that. It was a gift. That was one of those serendipitous gifts of this, of this experience. That's it really true. It was. Uh, it was. So, Susan, we need to take a break. We're at the halfway mark. And um, Okay. So let me take a little break here and talk about who we are and what we're doing. And when we come back, let's talk about the, um, the spirituality and the sacredness of, of these places and what that meant for each of us, if we could. So, folks, you are listening to to Deb and Friends' Quest for Connection podcast. I am your anchor host, Deb Bowen, and my guest this week is lovely Susan Bollinger, with whom uh, we share a spiritual-seeking partnership in so many ways, and I'm very grateful for that with you, Susan. You can hear us. Oh, you can hear us. Uh, on, I don't know what, what you're listening to us on at the moment, but there are some other outlets that we are available to you on. We are on iTunes uh, with Apple. We have a YouTube channel. We are on Blog Talk Radio, so you can hear our podcast episodes on all three of those outlets. You can connect with us on Facebook. You can connect with us on Instagram. You can connect with us on my website where you can read about our biographies and see who all eight of us are. And you can email us at debbowenandfriends at gmail.com if you would like to uh, send us an email and ask us any questions or make any kind of suggestion. We are so happy to hear from you on our Facebook page, on our Instagram page. We deeply appreciate your comments about our um, podcast on all three of our venues. If there's a comment you'd like to make, we certainly appreciate you doing that. We certainly appreciate you rating the podcast. We have five stars all over the places, and we're very grateful for, for that and knowing that this podcast is very meaningful for so many of you. So we thank you so much for that. As you connect with us, you will also hear that uh, we come from a variety of spiritual practices and backgrounds and that's what it makes us a wonderful connection of, of folks who work together to bring you uh, this information every week. Let me just make a little advertisement for myself. I have taken the past couple of weeks um, to to do some planning and long-range planning for my own work for the spring, for the rest of the spring and the summer, and coming up on my website this week is some new information about my one-question email readings about a new course I'm getting ready to offer, and a new uh, coaching service that I'm also offering in terms of doing some mentoring. So certainly I would appreciate you taking a look at my website. It's debbowen.com to see what I'm doing and also to take a look at the websites of my co-host who also do various and sundry kinds of, of work along these lines. And we really, really appreciate you being a part of this questing for connection with us. So thank you, everybody. Susan, any announcement from you? I don't think so. Not at this time. Thank you. Okay. All right. Okay. So for both Susan and me, this pilgrimage to Glastonbury, to Southwest England, was about connecting with the divine feminine in so many ways. And we had done a lot of research. Uh, we had both read, I don't know, for years <clears throat> about connecting to, to goddess energy. We had shifted some of our views. Um, things, books that had come out in the early 70s, um, we found when we reread them in preparation for this experience didn't speak to us as well as they had earlier in our journey to the goddess. We also had found that other books that had come to us more recently did speak to us, such as um, The Dance of the Dissonant Daughter by Sue Monk Kidd or Crossing to Avalon by Jean Bowen. And we read uh, Dion Fortune's Avalon of the Heart. So for us, in many ways, this was an experience of finding the goddess in Avalon. And in many ways, we did. Um, Bolin says in her crossing to Avalon, Avalon exists where divinity dwells in nature and quickens it in the pilgrim. Where there is feminine divinity, there is access to Avalon. And I found that to be true on this journey.
1: Wow. Susan, thoughts from you? The most of the areas that we visited and right now I'm thinking of um, Glastonbury in particular have a strong goddess tradition there's also a strong Christian history there as well so the connection just to those that have gone before was not just to a pagan tradition it 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 spoke of it spoke to me of people who were willing to die for their beliefs which is not something that i have had to be confronted with in this lifetime but i find that on the spirit level to be a very powerful reminder of the freedom I have to explore and practice and and that that just amazes me it just blows me away at how fortunate slash lucky slash chosen I I have been in this lifetime so any place that I go that is steeped in that kind of history and that kind of mystery because we don't know everything but we know enough pieces that we can put together one idea we can put together images of of what may have been but then to try and fill in the blanks of what that life really must have been like is just is just an overwhelming thing to me are you affected that way in these places as well?
0: Yes, I, I am. I, I guess I was kind of gnawing at, a, at another thread here. Um, I didn't mean to in any way discount the, the Christian tradition and history there either. I, I, I didn't mean to do that.
1: Oh, I don't think you did. No, you didn't. Okay,
0: all right. But for me, you know, as as I was planning and fantasizing about what this experience was going to be like, Uh, you know, Stonehenge was paramount in my mind. And while Stonehenge was wonderful and powerful and amazing, and I learned a whole lot, and we'll be having another episode down the way where we talk about ley lines, which I had an amazing experience with with ley line energy at Stonehenge and at a couple of other Uh places. And while the Glastonbury tour was... a a huge lesson for me. I I learned so much about myself and connection at the top of the tour. Certainly I did at Tentagel. It was probably Tentagel whenever I closed my eyes and envisioned being there. It was Tentagel I saw. Uh, But it was Chalice Well
1: on my knees.
0: Oh, yes. Where I really felt the heart of this pilgrimage for me literally on my knees looking down into that well with the well cover that Frederick Bly Bond created in the iron over the wood, the well cover that is the Vesica Pisces, which is the building block of sacred geometry, which is another podcast that's coming down the way (laughs) that I, (laughs) that, that I really began to understand that connection of that rod of divinity. I'd certainly experienced it. Uh, I think of the magician, for example, in Tarot, where he has one hand to heaven holding a wand and another pointing to earth, and he is the conduit. He is the rod between heaven and earth and and the energy of of spirit. And so is that rod of the Vesica Pisces that that is on the well cover at Chalice Well Gardens. Exactly. it It is there that I felt both the connection to Uh, the deep connection with the goddess and and the well of Avalon, because wells are always sacred to goddesses. And also the notion that that may have been, legend tells us, where Joseph of Arimathea hid the Holy Grail, if you can think of it as a cup. And it also may be connected to Mary Magdalene, which... Is yet another podcast topic. So as you can tell, this this pilgrimage podcast is really setting the stage for a lot of other discussions that we're going to be having as a team in the near future. But but it was it was there that I could smell the earth and the water and hear the lambs bleating behind the wall at the at the um, the well and, and be surrounded by those amazing yew trees, which are in and of themselves a symbol of the regenerativity of life that i really knew that i was a pilgrim a seeker and always will be and whether or not i have the answers isn't nearly as important as if i have the questions deb
1: you expressed that so so beautifully when it comes to matters of the spirit i am not able to verbalize terribly well. Uh, my internal, my internal feelings are deeply, deeply moved, but it doesn't always come out in words. And, and that's hard for me to do. And so I thank you for expressing so much of what I felt as well. So eloquently, but for me too, and we had talked about this, you're right the, the chalice well was perhaps the most spiritual experience i have ever had there's something about the length of time that it's been there the amount of water that flows out of it every single day all of those details that i'm so prone to to looking at just were totally blown away deb has already talked about how she needs to be barefoot at these holy sites and pointed out that I use my hands (laughs) but it was (laughs) to to feel, to sense. I put my hands on the ground. She's already got her feet on the ground. She's a step ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) But it was at the Chalice Well on a cold, gray, drizzly day that even Susan had to take off her shoes and her socks and stand on that earth and stand on those stones around the well and, yes, get on her knees and put her head on the stones. And I, I, can't, I can't describe it. I, I can't describe it except to say that it was profoundly moving on a very, very deep level. I had the flashback to Charlton Heston standing before the burning bush.
0: Susan, I'm sorry, you keep fading in and out on me. I'm sorry, I don't know why. I don't know either. (laughs) Go back to
1: Charlton Heston. Oh, uh, I flashed back to Charlton Heston standing before the burning bush in the movie *The Ten Commandments*, and the booming masculine voice of God saying, "Remove your shoes, for you stand on sacred ground." Yeah, I understood for the first
0: time what that meant. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I can't remember who said it, but uh, before Henry VIII got to the disillusionment of the abbey's uh somebody had described Glastonbury as the holiest or holiest ground on earth or in England i can't remember <clears throat> and indeed it is and you know Susan in, and i had also uh planned a ritual We before uh we left on this pilgrimage we knew that one of the things that we would want to do while we were on this journey, was to have some kind of a ritual. And in our minds, I think, I may not be speaking for you well, but I think that we hadn't planned what it was going to be or where, but we knew that at some point there needed to be a ritual. And it, and it, when we came away from the well itself and began to, to wind our way back out of the gardens that day, we realized that this was the day we needed to do a ritual, and it needed to be very simple. And we just blessed each other with the holy water from the well. And it was from that experience that I was able later in my journal, because I kept a very detailed journal, to say, all water comes from the holy well. All ground is sacred ground. And then I forgot that once we got to London. Uh, I really did. I did forget that once we got to London. Now Dad you um, mentioned the the journal and it, it is
1: important to uh, sit down in the evening and, and do when you're when you're on a pilgrimage to do some kind of record because when you get home you're going to need those reminders as you process. You won't always know what those lessons were and what gifts you received and what you brought back with you until you sit down with that journal um, to process to process
0: so that's a very important piece it it truly is and one of the things that I I would recommend you do um, that Susan and I did and again this came from my having led other trips with uh, with groups of people was that every evening uh, Susan and I got together with a cup of tea and processed our day and with our journals and just made notes of things that one or the other of us had, had attended to or, or had uh, struck the other in a way that was different from, from the other one of us so that that added a richness and a depth to, to our experience. And it also helped to keep us on the, the same page. Um, we, we were very clear in our planning that we were going to have separate rooms and that we would have time for separate Time and space away from each other. We're both extreme introverts, and and knew that we needed that, and that turned out to be a really good idea. But we also knew we needed to come together and have time to to talk about what what our experiences were like, and that was helpful as well. Um, if, if you're thinking in terms of planning a a journey with someone,
1: this was not spoken.
0: Oh, Susan, I can't hear you. I don't know where Susan is, folks. Oh, my. Okay. Maybe she'll get back to us. Uh, While we're waiting on Susan to come back to us and and hope that she can get her technical difficulties worked out, let me just talk about a couple of other things that I think are important if you're – because I think many of us have a a need, a desire – for a pilgrimage to some place that we think is sacred some place that we're longing to go and it's different than oh i want a vacation to disney world it's 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 not that and not that disney world couldn't also be a a place of um a sacred place i'm sure it can be for folks but but a place that really speaks deeply to to you in a way that that is a soul level um so I hope that you will consider uh, some ideas that will might be helpful to you. One of them is this wonderful book called The Art of Pilgrimage. I can't recommend it to you enough, and, and all of this will be on our Facebook page as well. But I do think that that's a, that really was a, a guidebook for uh, the work that we did as we uh, created this experience into... Avalon, as I call it. I also um, want to talk about, just briefly here, the idea that you can, you can, do, oh, Susan, are you back with me? I don't know. i back. Or not. Oh, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I am so sorry. I don't know what's going on with my connection today. I, I don't know either, but I'm so glad you're here. I was just telling folks that, um, that the art of pilgrimage really was one of the books that really did help us so much. I have a long list of other books to to recommend to you um, as well. Uh, Shirley McLean's book, The Camino. I have a client who is in her mid 60s who is this spring walking the Camino, uh, and I can't wait to talk to her when when she gets back. Uh, also, if you if walking a labyrinth is a new concept to you. Uh, you can certainly Google if there are labyrinths in your community. Where we live, in the tiny little place that we live, we, we probably have seven or eight public labyrinths. But there's a lovely book called Walking a Sacred Path by Lauren Artris, Artress, A R T R E S S, who uh, is the Dean of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, and her wonderful story about how she um, brought the labyrinth to Grace Cathedral uh, from. Chartres Cathedral in France and how she replicated it. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So another thing that, that I would recommend to you is that you find music that helps sustain your journey. Um, and you just might try uh, finding what resonates for you as music for you. I tell you, Van Morrison's Into the Mystic was certainly one of the songs that, that helped me a whole lot. And there are lots of others. I'll, I'll put those on Facebook as well. One other quick thing that I would suggest to you as, as a part of uh, beginning the process of, of looking for pilgrimage is to have some expectations and then don't have some expectations. And this is what I mean by that. When when I said a few minutes ago that that the journey really did shift for me once we went to London, one of the places that Susan and I. Uh, really wanted to visit was Westminster Abbey. Susan, you want to tell them about yeah. Westminster Abbey? <laughs> oh, well,
1: <laughs> first of all, I don't know if it's the cloud cover today, but you keep losing me, and I apologize. Um Abbey, my gosh, who hasn't heard of all the people who were buried there and all the ceremonies there, coronations and weddings,
0: Oops, you're gone again. Darn. Just just stay with me. Maybe every once in a while you can can pop back in. Uh but it is. I mean we all most folks know about Westminster Abbey. As Susan was saying, it's the site of coronations, it's the site of uh of funerals and weddings and uh so ma- so much else. And of course so many people are buried there that now I think when they bury somebody, if there's any room at all, they're buried standing up. I mean it's that kind of stuff. And I had a full-blown panic attack in Westminster Abbey. I We had stood in line, even though we got there very early. We had stood in line, and it was jam-packed with people. And we got into, um, behind the high altar, I think we were, was it in Queen Mary's crypt? I don't remember where we were. But wherever we were, I just couldn't breathe. And bless her heart, Susan just kind of guided me out of there. And interestingly, in the Poets' Corner, which is always so terribly crowded, it wasn't. And I was able to take a deep breath, and we went out to one of the colonnades, and, and I was able to breathe again. Tell Susan, are you with me? I am for how long? Okay, good. Tell, tell them what you said about Westminster Abbey. <laughs>
1: well, Thank And we were processing that evening.
0: Nope, she's not going to be able to tell you what she thought about Westminster Abbey. Here's what she thought. She said, you know, when it was all said and done, she felt like Westminster Abbey needed a good smudging, And, and I think, and I hate to put words in her mouth, but I think what she meant by that was that, um, y- you know, it was so busy and so and so crowded. And there was, you kind of heard it through there. And it didn't, there wasn't time to just be, to just be still, to really pay respects for, or homage to um, so many of the folks who were there. And, and for me, I can't speak for other folks, but for me, that's certainly a part of what's so important in, in the pilgrimage process, is just taking the time to really be present in every single moment, that, um, that everything we do in that process is important. It, just, it really, really is. And so uh, just a couple of things here as we, we begin to wrap up. One of the things that, that I suggested to uh, a client about pilgrimage a while back was that you can find pilgrimage in your own backyard and and i didn't mean that necessarily literally uh i meant it more figuratively that there is there is pilgrimage around you in a park in your own living room but it does require detaching i think from your day-to-day routine uh, susan and i were talking before we began today's uh, podcast recording with the idea that that many of us think in terms of pilgrimage think in terms of going inward and we have what I call a "but first mentality in that well, yes, I'm going to take today and i'm I'm going within and I'm going to go sit uh, under a tree and just be with that tree for a while, but first, I need to clean the bathroom and do the laundry and and that's what happens when when we are not in a different space, so I think pilgrimage at home requires a a deeper and a different kind of concentration and focus. Um, Martin Palmer, in his book, Sacred Journey, says, true pilgrimage changes lives, whether we go halfway around the world or out to our own backyards. What matters is whether we go in as we go out. I, I just love that. John Muir said, I only went out for a walk and finally concluded to stay out until sundown for going out. I found I was really going in. And I just, I just love that. And T.S. Eliot says that um, we shall know that the end of our explanation, explorations have arrived when we started, we'll, we'll, I'm sorry, will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. So it is about bringing it back home. It's about coming back to ourselves. And we come back different and changed in a way that is sometimes hard to articulate, but it's a way of finding ourselves in the world around us as well as within ourselves. And I I just love that. I just love the idea that there are ways that we can do that. And we can do it by seeking out sacred places both within us and without us. So, folks, we so hope that you have enjoyed this hour with us today. We uh, hope that experience for you, that you have been spurred to consider your own adventure. Susan and I may be creating and taking some folks on some adventures sometime in the future, so just kind of put that in the back of your hat. We appreciate you connecting with us, Deb and Friends Quest for Connection on iTunes, YouTube, Blog Talk Radio, Facebook, Instagram, and my website. So again, thank you so much, and we welcome and appreciate your being a part of our Quest for Connection adventure. Take care, have a great week, and we'll be back with you next week.